Everybody hear me? There we go. Morning. Good to see everybody today. If you have your Bibles, open up again to Luke chapter 2 this morning. I'm doing that. Let me just say that um, the, the Christmas service that we're going to have next week that Danny mentioned, um, people have asked me, why are we doing just one service that day? Well, um, we started doing that for Christmas couple years ago whenever the 25th fell on a Sunday and it was just a good thing to do because one of the things about the Christmas season is families all being together and so we've got you know basically a group that comes to the early service at 8 30 and another group that comes to the 10 45 service and there's not a lot of opportunities for us to all do things together as a family so that being a Christmas service we wanted the whole church family to be together during that time and so uh, just to let you know, it's going to be crowded in here next Sunday. And yeah, that's, that's a good thing. But also the, uh, the spots that some of you have claimed um, <laughs> every Sunday, uh, just know that somebody in the first service has probably claimed that, for that spot as well. So um, don't be surprised if somebody else is sitting there. And so if you want your spot, you better get here early. So uh, just... Giving everybody a heads up on that. All right. Uh, Last Sunday, I told you that for the next couple weeks, we're going to be uh, looking at some of the attributes of God that he has revealed to us through the events around the birth of Jesus. Uh, I mentioned how, although this is one of the most joyful times of year for many people, it can also be a time of year that produces feelings that, that aren't very good. And so the best way to make the worry and the sadness and the stress and, and things like that to completely disappear is simply by gazing on the glory of God and seeing him for who he is. Last week, we looked at the first part of Luke chapter 2, where Caesar Augustus decrees that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. And I pointed out that that first verse there, Luke 2, 1, is one of the most profound statements of God's sovereignty and power in the whole Bible because it shows what links that God will go to to ensure that his plans and his purposes are fulfilled. We saw that uh, Mary and Joseph, they had to get to Bethlehem because that was part of the plan that God had revealed 700 years earlier. And so to make that happen, God turned the heart of the most powerful man on earth. And so now we can uh, look at that story from this side and see how God was moving all these events around and know that we can trust him. With everything going on in the world today, with every little detail in our lives, because he is still turning the hearts of kings and moving world events for his plan and his people. This morning, we're going to continue with the story. Joseph and Mary have now made it to Bethlehem, where Mary gave birth to Jesus in an animal stall because all the inns in town were full. We're going to pick up Luke's account of all this in verse 8 and read down through verse 14. So let's all stand in honor of God's word this morning. Luke 2, 8 says, In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. 
This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly they appeared with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Let's pray. God, by your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would reveal yourself to us in ways, God, and let us see that in ways that change us. God, we just don't want our behavior to change and be modified. Lord, we want to be changed from the inside out, and the only way that can happen is if we have an encounter with you. Lord, as if we receive that revelation of truth of who you are and what you have done. And so, God, I'm asking that you allow that to happen in each and every one of us this morning. It's for your glory we ask this. In Jesus' name, amen. So for this message this morning, I just want to focus in on what the angels said to the shepherds there in verse 14, because their announcement contains one of the most popular phrases that we see and hear everywhere during the Christmas season, the statement, peace on earth. Every Christmas season, we see those three words on ornaments, on coffee mugs, on Christmas cards, they're, they're lit up in lights, they're sung in many of the Christmas songs that we sing. It's just one of the most popular phrases associated with Christmas, peace on earth. And some might say that it's one of the most inaccurate phrases as well, because when you look at everything that has happened in the world from the birth of Jesus to today, everything that's going on, one might wonder, well, where is the peace? Because instead of peace, there's violence and war, there's anger and rage, there's division and abuse. What peace? If the angels were saying that the coming of Jesus was going to bring peace all over earth, then it appears that they were wrong. Either the angels were wrong or Jesus failed at what he came to do. But the angels were not wrong and Jesus did not fail. The problem is not with what the angels said. The problem is with our understanding of what they meant by that. And the problem comes, once again, by taking that phrase out of context. We can't just focus on those three words only because that wasn't the whole statement. The whole statement, part of, first part, it says, on earth peace among men. Now, the Greek word there for men is the word anthropos, which means people, not just males. It's where we get our word anthropology from, which is essentially the study of people. Peace on earth among people. All people? No. The angels say specifically who the people are that Jesus is going to bring peace to. And on earth, peace among people with whom he is pleased. They were not saying peace among nations or peace among governments or peace among political parties or even peace among all people. And so the first point, if you're following along in the notes there, is this. Jesus did not come to bring peace to all people. He didn't. To say that he did is a misrepresentation of the te text. The angels did not say that. They said he came to bring peace to a certain group. 
And that certain group is those with whom he is pleased. Now, the King James version of this phrase is the most popular one because it's been around the longest. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's the most accurate. And the King James says, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Now, many have uh, taken that with its uh, more of a universal sound to it than the other translations, taken that to mean that uh, during the Christmas season, we are to give glory to God and extend peace and goodwill toward one another. And yes, those are good things to do, but that's not what the angels were saying. They weren't limiting this to just a few weeks out of the year. They were announcing what Jesus is coming to earth would accomplish. And even the King James Version, that goodwill toward men part is referring to God's goodwill toward people. But again, it is not all people. It's just those with whom he is pleased. I like how the NIV translates it. It says, peace to those on whom his favor rests. And so the question then becomes, well, who are they? Who are the people that God is pleased with? Who are the people who have his favor? Our religious bent would probably cause us to assume that it's it's those who, who act the best. It must be those who don't drink, don't cuss, don't cheat. They don't get caught up in a a bunch of sin. They go to church often. You know, we tend to think that God is looking down from heaven to see who's good and who's bad. And then he's going to, to, to put his favor on them. He's going to be pleased with them. Many of us still have this Santa Claus version of God. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows when you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. That's the the picture of God that a good many people still have. And there are even verses in the Bible that seem to support that. Take 2 Chronicles 16, 9, for example. It says, for the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Now, verses like that make us think, well, I want God to support me, and so I better make sure that my heart is completely his. I better start acting right and getting my stuff together so, so that I can have his favor, so, so that he will be pleased with me. No, that is how an orphan thinks. An orphan is always trying to, uh, to think of what can I do to get in? What do I have to do in order to belong, to be accepted, to be loved? The next point, your goodness does not determine God's favor. Your goodness does not determine God's favor. Well, what then does? What would qualify someone as being one of the ones that God is pleased with? Well, it can't be good behavior because God gave us the law to show us that none of us are able to be good enough. Before Jesus came, mankind's greatest problem was that we were completely cut off from God. No one had his pleasure in his favor because of the curse of sin that came through Adam. Romans 5.10 says that we were enemies of God. John 3.36 says that what was on us was not his favor, but 
his wrath. We weren't at peace with God. We were in direct opposition to him. And from uh, the fall of Adam and Eve all the way to the birth of Jesus, God presented every possible way that we might think of that could fix the problem to show us that none of it worked. What he showed us was we didn't have a behavior problem. We didn't have an obedience problem. We had a heart problem. That curse of sin caused our hearts to become wicked and dark and completely dead to God. And the only way to break that curse was that a price had to be paid for the sin. But it was a price that was way too high for any of us to, be, to, to pay So in order to fix the problem, God himself would have to come to earth, put on flesh and blood, and pay it for us by dying in our place. And for those who by faith receive Jesus' death as our only remedy, our hearts are changed, are healed. The Bible says that he will turn a heart of stone into a heart of flesh. Our hearts are changed and our identity is replaced with his. We are now in Christ and the pleasure and favor of God that Jesus receives is now on those who are in him. Faith in Jesus is the only way to obtain the pleasure and favor of God. Next point, God's favor only rests on those who are in Christ. His favor only rests Rest on those who are in Christ. A good way to understand what it means to be in Christ, which is a phrase that you see over and over and over throughout the whole New Testament, being in Christ, uh, think of it in terms of a mother who is carrying a baby in her womb. That baby is, of course, in the mother. And everything that that mother receives goes directly to the baby. In order for that baby to receive nutrition, there is not a thing that that baby is required to do, but simply abide in the mother. It doesn't have to reach out, grab hold of some food, put it to its mouth, and chew and swallow. The baby doesn't have to do anything because it can't do anything. It is completely incapable of doing anything. In order for it to receive something, the baby is completely reliant on the mother. Completely dependent on the mother. And so everything that is taken in and received by the mother goes directly to that baby. That's what it means for us to be in Christ. God's favor doesn't depend on what we do because we are incapable of doing anything good enough to earn it. If we could, then there would be no need for Jesus In order to receive anything from God, his love, his favor, his pleasure, his blessing, anything, we are as completely dependent on Jesus as a baby is in its mother's womb. Everything Jesus receives from the Father goes directly to those who are in him. Jesus receives the fullness of the Father's love, his pleasure, his favor, his blessing. And being in him means that those things now go directly to us. Now think of that in relation to 2 Chronicles 16.9, the verse I quoted earlier. 
For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Every time I've heard this verse preached, the message has always been, if you want God to support you, you better make sure your heart is completely his. If it's not, he won't support you. And I would always leave feeling so discouraged. You know why? Well, for one reason, how do you measure that? How do you know? What does that even mean? I I know my heart is God's, but I don't know if or, or when it is completely his. I do know for sure when it's not, but how do I know if it is? What does that even look like? To be honest with you, I don't think I could ever say that my heart is completely his. So I'll tell you right now, especially this time of the year, there are some things that compete pretty strongly for my heart. It's hunting season. And the affections of my heart are pulled pretty strong towards the woods. I can honestly say that there are many days where I'd much rather be in a duck marsh or a tree stand than in a Bible study or a prayer meeting. Oh, preacher's not supposed to say that. If he's being honest, he is. Look, if my heart is not completely God's, I don't want to pretend like it is. Because that is an unsustainable facade and will wear you out. It's also football season. And the better the Cowboys do, the more my heart is drawn towards them. And they're doing pretty good right now. And I know I'm not the only one in here because I had several of them come up to me before the message to make sure I knew the Cowboys were playing at noon today. Don't worry. There are times when I know that my heart is bent more towards my wife or my kids. So I can't say honestly that I know that my heart is completely God's. Does that mean he's not supporting me? No, it doesn't. God's favor, his blessing, his pleasure, and his support does not rise and fall on our actions or affections. Because truth is, it's impossible for a human heart to be completely God's. And if anybody says that theirs is, you're lying. There's just too much in this world to compete with it. And too much of our flesh to battle to make that possible. But here's the deal. There's only one man who has ever been that we know for sure his heart is completely God's. One. And his name is Jesus. He is the only one who has ever had a heart that pure. The good news of the gospel means that if we are in him we receive that same designation. 
God fully supports me, not because my heart is completely his, but because Jesus' heart is, and I am in him. (laughs) If that's not good news, I don't know what to tell you. And if you are in Christ, he fully supports you as well. Not because of you, but because of Jesus. Do you know what it does to realize that? I mean, some are like, whoa, you can't say that to too many people because then they're just going to go and do whatever they want to. No, to realize that draws my heart even more towards him and away from everything else. I mean, a duck, a deer, even the Dallas Cowboys cannot give me what I see that he can. When I see that his grace is that big, I mean, I can still enjoy those things, but knowing what it means for me to be in Christ prevents those things from them becoming idols in my life. The announcement of the angels to the shepherds was that Jesus has come so that the favor and the pleasure of God might rest on people again. He came to make that possible by dying in our place. And if we are in Christ, we are at peace with God. Romans 5.10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? So the peace that the angel said that Jesus was bringing with him was not a peace over the entire world. It is not a peace between nations, governments, or political parties. It is a peace that exists between God and those whose sin has been removed by the blood of Jesus. It's not a peace for everyone, but for just a select few. And that statement right there, It's hard for some people to swallow because in our culture today that makes such a big deal out of being all-inclusive and tolerant, some tend to shy away from the exclusive nature of Christianity. Some even seem like they've got to apologize for it. Folks, we don't need to shy away from or apologize for anything. Yes, those who have God's favor are an exclusive group of people because those who are in Christ are an exclusive group of people. But God is adding to that group every day. And he wants us to go out and get as many as possible. Now, the call itself, nowhere near exclusive. The invitation to come to Christ is not limited to a chosen few. The call goes out to everyone. All people of every nation, tribe, and tongue, rich and poor, young and old, sick and healthy. The call is not for those who dress a certain way, talk a certain way, act a certain way. The call is simply come, everyone, just as you are. The call goes out to everyone, but not everyone is going to answer that call. All roads do not lead to God. Jesus himself said in Matthew 7, 14, the gate is small and the way is narrow that needs to life. And there are few who find it. But those who do answer that call 
get to be a part of something and receive things that nobody else does. Not everyone has God's favor, only those who are in Christ. Not everyone is at peace with God, only those who are in Christ. And contrary to popular opinion, not even everyone can be called God's children. It's a big assumption that a lot of people get wrong that we are all God's children. No, we're not. John 1, 12, talking about Jesus, says this. But to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Not to everyone, only to those who receive him. You know what Jesus called some folks that seemed to have it all together on the outside? They dressed the right way. They followed the right rules. They observed all the right rituals, but yet they rejected Jesus, and he called them sons of Satan. In John eight forty four, he said, you are of your father, the devil. So not all are God's children. I know that doesn't fit in our all-inclusive tolerant, sensitive culture. Truth doesn't always. The only way to receive the love of the Father is through faith in the Son. The only way to receive the love of the Father is through faith in the Son. Jesus didn't come to bring peace to everyone on earth. And listen to what he said directly in Matthew 10, 34. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. (laughs) I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now that sounds like it's in direct opposition, that it completely contradicts what the angel said to the shepherds. It would if the angels were talking about just this peace all over the earth that just meant everyone was supposed to get along together. That's not what they were talking about. And that's what Jesus is saying. That's not what I came to do. I didn't come so that everybody would like each other. Jesus meant that his coming, instead of bringing peace, was actually going to be bring division. There was going to be a clear distinction made with him coming to earth. There was going to be a line in the sand drawn. He would go on later to talk about separating the sheep from the goats and the chaff from the wheat. And when he was presented at the temple as a baby, Simeon prophesied over him and said to Mary, he is appointed for the rise and the fall of many in Jerusalem. And so to shy away from the exclusiveness of Jesus is to shy away from the very thing that he came to do. To be afraid that someone might get offended by that would be the same as if You had the ultimate cure for cancer, finally, the one that's going to cure everybody, but afraid to tell any patients about it because you're afraid that they'd be offended if you told them that was the only cure. Let's say someone invented a pill that all you had to do, a cancer patient, take it once, no side effects, no nothing, all their cancer, no matter what kind, completely gone. No side effects, and it's absolutely free. You don't have to pay for anything. 
How silly would it be for anyone to think that you are being too exclusive and intolerant to say that that was the only way for you to be completely cancer-free? That all you had to do was take that. It'd be just like saying if somebody's car ran out of gas and you went up to them and said, the only way your car is going to get down the road is if you put gas in it. Oh, that's so offensive. How can you say that that's the only way? Because it is. And it's the same with Jesus. He is the only way. No one else paid for your sin. No one else can give you the favor and the pleasure of God. No one else can can change you, can transform you from an enemy of God to a child of God. If there was another way, he would not have paid such a high price for our salvation. Jesus even said in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, I mean, sweating blood from his head, so agonized over it. Father, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. He said, not my will, but yours be done, because he knew there was no other way. There was no plan B. There were no other options. And so he had to drink the cup of God's wrath down to the very last drop so that we wouldn't have to. So what is God revealing about himself in this that should comfort us, give us joy? He's revealing his incredible grace that he came to give us what we don't deserve and provide for us what we could never attain ourselves. The good news that brings comfort and joy, as the Christmas song says, is that if you are in Christ, God is pleased with you. His favor rests on you. Too many times we assume that when something bad happens to us, must be that we've done something that God is mad at. Now he's punishing us. No, he's not. Because the truth is, if you've done anything that deserves punishment from God, Jesus already took that punishment for you. And to say that God is now punishing you for a sin that you've committed, it's to say that the cross wasn't enough. The cross wasn't enough, and so God had to add some more punishment on top of that today. The blood of Jesus covers from eternity past to eternity future. All sin. The cross was enough. And on it, he absorbed all of God's anger and wrath and punishment so that all would be left for you is his love, his pleasure, his favor, his peace, his blessing. If you're in Christ, God is pleased with you. And I know there are so many of you who still struggle with not feeling good enough. God, you really need to hear this today, that if you are in Christ, he's pleased with you. If you're in Jesus, he's saying, well done. 
not because of you and what you've done, but because of Jesus and what he's done. If it did depend on you, then yeah, you're right. You're not enough. The good news is it doesn't depend on you. Jesus is enough for you. And this call to go out to be a part of it is for everyone. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace to those with whom he is well pleased. Let's pray. Lord, you never cease to amaze me. Just when I think that I've got a handle on your grace, Lord, you cause my grip to slip. And I see once again that it's too big for me to hold on to completely. Lord, it just seems to keep getting bigger and bigger. God, it's so amazing. Lord, I thank you that it is that, just the realization of what your grace really means, God, that it's what changes us. Lord, I know that that's what changed me. God, I tried so many other ways to change. I've come down the front to so many altar calls made so many promises and commitments. I performed what I was told needed to be sacrifices for you. I've memorized scripture. I've given money. God, I've done it all trying to change, Lord, but none of it worked until I got a revelation of your grace. I know there are people that are struggling with that same thing. Or they're still trying to do it on their own, trying to appease you in some way. Lord, would you just break through all that noise right now, God, and just show them how simple your grace really is. And what sounds too good to be true really is true. those that struggle with not feeling good enough. Lord, I thank you that they realize that they're not. They would just put all their confidence in the fact that Jesus is. Lord, I pray for those that may see themselves outside of that group who have your favor and your pleasure. Lord, that those who have believed or tried so many different other ways to think that they're okay, that they got it, Lord. When it's all said and done, they're going to be good. They've never fully received you, Jesus. Lord, I pray this morning will be the time that they see that you truly are the only way. And they lay down all their attempts, all their assumptions and beliefs and pride and repentance, and they come to faith in you. Lord, thank you for making us 
your people. Thank you for calling us your children. It's only the blood of Jesus that makes that possible. Holy Spirit, would you come now and just do the work in us that you intend to do. Lord, let the truth from your word do its work in us now. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.